need to reconvene. So I hope everybody had a good uh, meal. We're just about ready for the questions. But before we go for the questions, first I'd like to uh, introduce our next week's speaker. Our next week's talk will be Making Sense of the Yellow Vest Protests. So we hope to see you here next week. So I said if anybody wanted to uh, also have suggestions for future talks, there's a suggestion box over here. And um, you can write down any suggestion you may have. So we'll have the, please come to the uh, microphone over there if you have any questions. And uh, introduce yourself with your name and then your question. And uh, Jim will be uh, ready to answer your question. So, oh, we don't have the, the other slide. Are there anybody? Anybody has any questions? Okay, we have a question. Yeah. Oh, I've got to turn that off. No, you just stand here, yeah. Hi. So when my Tesla battery wears out. Oh, my name is Alan Friesen. I own a Tesla Model S. It's parked outside here. My question for you is when that battery's toast, will you be able to retrofit and put an aftermarket battery in it? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I would just take a battery from a wrecked Tesla and put it in. Take one out of another Tesla and put it in. Yeah, yeah. Trying to re-aftermarket fit into a Tesla is not a good idea. Okay. But definitely, I work with Tesla batteries um, intimately, and they're excellent, and they'll take a long time for them to wear out. <laughs> okay. You... Um, if you want, I will just kind of share with you my Tesla experience, and uh, I've, I've answered these questions a thousand times, okay? Because everybody has to... A little closer to the mic. Oh, okay. So, I bought mine. Mine's a 2013 car. I bought it January of 2017. So, I have it for more than two years now. I drive it every day. Uh, it doesn't matter what the weather. It's always going to start. It's always... There's no... Just put it in gear, and it goes. The battery life or the bat how long your range goes is not as good in the winter as it is in the summer. Cold weather affects it, as does cold weather affect the gas engine, right? You're not going to get as good fuel economy with a gas engine. You're not going to get, uh, if you're running it real hard, you're not going to get as good a fuel economy. And if I run on real hard with my Tesla, I don't get the same range. But mine's an 85 kilowatt hour battery. It, that means then uh, you can get bigger ones. You can get actually from low as 60 to a high of 100. The bigger the kilowatt hour, the more range. Mine has a 400 kilometer range when conditions are ideal. Uh, and when that minus 30, my range was probably half that, like 200. But you just charge it more often is all you do. So uh, Tesla, one thing that they have that's kind of unique is they have a network of supercharger stations. So if I hopped in my car right now and said navigate to Vancouver, it would say go this route, Stop at this supercharger station, stop at this supercharger station, stop at this supercharger station. So you run about two and a half, three hours, then you stop, get a charge for a little bit, and then go on your merry way. So it's a wonderful car, the best vehicle I've ever owned, and I'm hoping to drive this car, 2013, until I die. I love that car. It'll probably die. You'll probably die before it does. <laughs> That's okay. I'm good with that. And I was going to say, you know, Electric cars are less efficient in the winter time, but gas vehicles are less efficient all the time.
Uh, Dave Major, uh, thanks for your talk. Um, I don't know if you've measured this, but when you plug your car in every night and use it for driving around, did you happen to keep track of how many kilowatt hours it took beyond what you used to have before you had an electric car? Uh, no, I've never done that. Uh, Betsy takes care of all the bills. Um, but many people have, and uh, my understanding is that the average cost for an electric car on the low end is around two and a half cents per kilometer of driving, and on the higher end, around four cents per kilometer of driving. And I know for myself, um, instead of paying about $160 a month in gas, um, my bill went up by $20 a month. So what did you say? Two and a half cents? Uh, two and a half cents, between two and a half and four cents per kilometer. So if I got uh, 500 kilometers on $50 worth of gas, that would be 10 cents a kilometer? Uh, I think so. <laughs> just, just <coughs> I, I'm just trying to put it into context. Yeah, I, on average, your, your, um, your savings in an electric car is usually between a tenth and a quarter, like up to one-tenth, if you compare a pickup truck to my Fiat 500E. Okay, and the other question is, if I bought an electric car and I stopped at Red Deer to plug it in, do I pay when I plug it in to recharge it? Uh, it depends where you plug in, but uh, typically highway charging, you're gonna have to pay, and I think that's fine. Charge you about $20 for a fill-up, so to speak. And um, <clears throat> so it's actually going to cost you significantly more than plugging in at home. But there are many places where you can plug in, like my car's plugged in over at PV Mart right now, and it's free. And there are many, many free charging stations around as well, on the highway as well. Um, two, my name's Mike McCaig. Two questions I'd kind of like to hear something about. Number one, uh, is it economical to convert an existing vehicle? I understand you did that. And secondly, uh, when you are charging them at home, do you need to do any additional wiring other than an ordinary 120 plug? Yep, okay, so charging is something that I just never got to, but this is all, this is, these are the everyday questions about electric vehicles. Um, to answer your first question, if you wanna convert your daily driver to an electric car, um, it's very expensive, even if you do it yourself. The batteries themselves to have, say, 200 kilometers range in the summer are gonna cost you at least $15,000 just for the batteries. And there's many, many hours put into it. And if you're gonna heat those batteries in the winter so you can drive it in the winter, oh my God, it's a nightmare. So I prefer to take old classic cars that are only driven in the summer and they don't have power steering, power brakes, they don't have all kinds of gizmos and gadgets and everything. Anyways, you pull most of that stuff out and it's uh, a summer only car. And the other question was, um, when I charge, what was the question again? What do you need for special wiring? Oh, what do you need for special, yeah. Okay, in my garage, I have an older house that has 220 volts available in the garage. So it cost me $90 to have a plug installed to charge my vehicle. Um, some, probably most newer homes, you're going to have to run a wire from your panel to your garage to augment the supply to give you 220 volts. And that can be $1,000 to do that. 
if you want to charge level two or 220. And I, I recommend that for most people. You just bite the bullet and do that. And then you can charge your car quickly in like four hours. But um, you can just charge your vehicle off of uh, the wall, a plug, a wall plug. And the, the actual device for doing that comes with the car. I did that all last winter. I parked my car outside. I left it plugged into 110, and I drove it all winter. Just once in a while, you need a quicker charge. If you're a family or whatever, especially, then it's good to have that 220. And it may cost you $1,000. Nope. Hi, my name is Charles Powis, and um, I'm a bit of a tinker, and I'd like to do a conversion myself. Um, I was curious about a couple of things. Do you use a uh, 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 three-phase motor, and do you use uh, uh, variable frequency drive or pulse width modulation uh, to control the motor uh, and an inverter? Uh, yes, 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 and yes. Um, you just buy it all as a package. You buy a, a three-phase AC motor. Nobody puts a DC motor in an electric car anymore um, for lots of reasons. Uh, so, yeah, they're all three-phase AC motors, and they come with a controller, which I believe is variable frequency motors, uh, controllers. Um, I, don't, I don't build them. That's way, way beyond my uh, level. That'd be a PhD. Mm. Does that answer your question? Uh, yep. Uh, and you'd have that information if I wanted to get it off you? Oh, yeah, sure. Yep. Okay, thanks. My name is Lori Schultz. Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, my question is in regards to maintenance. You had indicated that somebody had come in and uh, was looking at what they needed to maintain. So what about the, the structure of the car? Like there's still a transmission, there's still ball joints and, and all of that. Um, do you do those repairs or you just take it to a regular garage for those types of repairs or? Okay, thank you. I, I actually, uh, I didn't finish what I meant to say there when I was talking about the repair maintenance part. Um, the, <clears throat> the savings on the maintenance of, a of an electric vehicle is largely on the, uh, the motor the, and all the ancillaries, the fuel pump, the water pump, the starter, the radiator, and all, all of those things. You don't have any of those. An electric motor has one moving part, one, a shaft, a, a, a rotor that spins on a shaft. And that rotor will last 300,000 miles, at which point you replace those two bearings and you have a brand new motor again. So the, compare that to a gasoline engine, and that's where the bulk of your savings are. Um, there is no transmission in an electric motor. They are a single speed. And you don't even change the oil in that transmission until 150,000 miles. And then it's simply dump the oil, put new oil in, and you're good for another 150,000 miles. Uh, your brakes don't wear out for 100 and between 100 and 150,000 kilometers because the uh, motor is slowing down the car. So, but the, uh, the maintenance that you will require would be steering and suspension. So ball joints, shocks, springs, tie rod ends, wiper blades, and stuff like that. And uh, it's, not, it's not zero, but it's considerably less. 
Alan Friesen again. I'm going to try not to come up here one more time, but... but Let's put our hats on here. Yeah, there you go. Thank We're you. cool. I feel way more comfortable now. Thank you for that. <laughs> I was going to say that when you're talking about charging it at home, so my car, I can charge it, plug it into a 110 outlet. Then it charges about seven kilometers for every hour it's plugged in, ridiculously slow. Mine with a, with a, uh, a 220 plug, like a welder or oven type plug, it charges about 37 kilometers for every hour it's plugged in, which is usable. I go home tonight, I've driven a couple hundred Ks, I throw it on the charger for six hours, it's all good to go. Now, in, in, to consider a used Tesla, let me think, let you think about this. I bought mine used, my car has unlimited supercharging forever. So I don't have to pay to use superchargers and never will. With, so that's one of the reasons I like that car. I was going to buy a Model 3, and, I, and then I had to start paying. So I said, forget that. I'll keep my Model S, which I love driving, and I'm just going to drive it out as long as it lasts. The maintenance, oh, sorry, you got a comment? Okay, the maintenance, Tesla on their warranty, incredible. Like, I have never had an experience like that. I took it in for a maintenance or a warranty issue. At the same time, the car was like four years old, so I had a whole bunch of other, oh, this window isn't sealing up properly, and gee, there's a little noise here. And anyways, they went through all the things, fixed everything, and I figured, well, that's got to co cost me a couple grand, right? And they gave me a brand new car to drive for like three weeks. And then I thought, well, that's going to cost me a couple grand. When I went to pick it up, it was goodwill, goodwill, goodwill. I didn't pay a nickel. And I was just like flabbergasted. I never had that experience on a car that's already four years old, right? So, okay, now I'm going to shut up. Yeah, there's also a Tesla Owners Club Facebook page, and that's another place you can go to ask questions about Tesla and, and talk to uh, happy Tesla owners. Look, there's a wildlife photographer down there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I'm not sure I forget your name there. Alan. Alan Freeze? Alan Friesen. Yeah, Friesen, yeah. Um, see, Alan probably drives, do you really drive 200 kilometers a day all the time? Is that normal? In the last two years since I've owned that car, I put about 100,000 kilometers on it. See, there you go. See, yeah. so that's why you need a Tesla. It's, mine is now, it's just short of 200,000 kilometers on the car. When I bought it, it had 100,000, and I've put 100,000 in the last two years. So, yeah. And it's every day, every going through, crashing through. I live on a gravel road, crashing through snow drifts and everything. I drive it anywhere. And it's amazingly durable vehicle. I'm just Hi, wondering, how much stock do you have in Tesla? <laughs> I have no stock in Tesla. I don't own a Tesla here. <laughs> Hi, Barb Phillips. Excellent presentation. I want one. Anyway, uh, I saw in one of your slides that the source for lithium was some South American country. I think it was Chile or I can't remember on one of your slides the lithium to make the batteries. But I also saw on CBC just not too long ago that the town of Cobalt, Ontario is maybe being revitalized from being a ghost town basically because of this lithium. Is that going to make it easier for, easier for that town because it's going to get rejuvenated and as a Canadian source for lithium for the batteries? I don't know. Uh, well, um, Cobalt, make, Cobalt, Ontario mines Cobalt. They don't mine lithium. So there's that. <laughs> there is there lithium there as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just the cobalt part that's required for batteries as well, right? 
cobalt in the batteries. So um, there's actually major amounts of lithium in Alberta. I believe it's in um, uh, uh, produced water has lithium salts dissolved in it. And so as the lithium market uh, increases and price of lithium goes up, then these things are, there are lots of studies being done on, on um, uh, producing lithium in Alberta as well. But other than that, I, I don't really have much to say. I, I believe it's uh, uh, cobalt in cobalt, but I could be wrong. <coughs> Hi. Bev Mundell Atherstone. <coughs> Thank you very much for being here. Uh, I, I have some questions about converting a regular car or an ICE car into the electric car. So you said the main thing you do with the um, classic cars is you you want them to be run in the summer. But with the other e-cars, they're, they're run year-round. So as an engineer, can you explain to me why? You why is it so? Why is the difference? Yeah, why, why couldn't you warm the batteries? They must be warmed in the, in the cars that people are buying. Um, because it's a royal pain in the you-know-what. Um, the heating requires a lot of power and yeah, it's just not easy. They, they do it and they do it well and to, to re-engineer what they've already engineered is very, very difficult. Sort of like what I was saying about putting um, uh, replacement batteries in a Tesla. The only batteries I would ever put back in a Tesla are Tesla batteries and the heating is just tough. You can you can put a battery blanket on your batteries and sort of warm them up, but I have a friend who did that with a Porsche that he converted, and he's on his third set of batteries now because if you don't heat them well, then when you go to charge the batteries, they will be destroyed. The batteries must be warm when they're charged, and in a normal electric vehicle takes care of that itself, but um, it just adds a lot of effort to the whole process. Okay, so when you <clears throat> when you convert an ICE car to an e-car, uh, do you just take the uh, top part of the car off and um, uh, put the battery over the chassis? Is, is that what you're doing? No, you have to figure out somewhere to put them. Typically, um, when you pull a gas engine out and put a motor in, the motor goes right onto the uh, transmission, right where the motor the engine was attached, and uh, might be about this big around. And there's room above that for batteries. And so typically you're going to, I'll say, flood or fill the, the trunk area with batteries. And then, oh, sorry, not the trunk, under the hood. And then probably more in the trunk as well. The problem with converting in a vehicle is that there, you have to figure out where to put the batteries. You can't, it's not built to be done that way. So it's, it's, it's not easy. So you can't just chop the top part off, put the batteries in like you showed us in your slide, and then put the top back on? Nope. No, they won't fit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was my easy solution. Okay, one more question, and this may be out of your purview, but um, why don't we see cars driving down the road with uh, electric panels on the roof and the sides? Okay, that's a good question. Lots of people ask me that. I thought you were going to ask me, why don't you see cars with like little windmills on there that are generating electricity to, yeah. to power the well, wheels? Well, that one too, sure. And uh, the two words, perpetual motion, okay? But to get back to the other question, um, solar panels would work, 
but I did some calculations with the Volvo, which is a station wagon, and if I had like a four by four panels, and then I slid one out, so I had eight by four, or even 12 by four, and I had really good solar panels, and I parked it outside every day for eight hours, or 10 hours, in the full sun, I would get about 10 kilometers range. <laughs> there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of difference in scale between what comes out of a solar panel and, and what's required to move a big heavy car. Thank you. Klaus Jericho, um, the, the, the reason we do all this, this um, electric vehicle business is to reduce greenhouse gases. One of the reasons, yeah. I think that's the main reason, isn't it? I think they're just better in every way, basically, but uh, one of the benefits is that they are greenhouse gas, zero emission, really, once they're made. But still, uh, I haven't found any scientific information which compares the ICE car with an electric car. Uh, I'm talking life cycle from start to finish, from start to finish or everything. I have never seen a comparison. Which one is better in terms of greenhouse gases? Okay, um, I believe there was a study by the Union of Concerned Scientists on um, all the whole life cycle uh, emissions of an electric vehicle. And, um, you know, it does depend where you're getting your electricity from, for starters. And um, certainly, I believe, to produce the battery, especially for an electric vehicle, is quite energy intensive. And so an electric vehicle does require more greenhouse gas emissions for its production. And I believe that's offset within 18 months. Whereas with a gas vehicle, it just keeps going up. So I, I'm sorry, I, I can't speak to the, your, your lack of success in finding that information. Um, I had some slides from a previous event that I was at, and I, I don't have those today. I'm <coughs> Chester Hossein, and I was pretty well raised in the uh, dirty 30s. And I think the farmers at that time were the conversion experts. They uh, had bought cars probably in about some of the good years, 27, 28. But when it got pretty hard in the 30s, well, they took the motor out and hooked it on, hooked a team of horses on it, <laughs> pulled it, uh, pulled it with that, and called it a Bennett buggy. I love it. Yeah, I've even heard stories of farmers that have built electric tractors and things like that that work just fine with a DC motor in them. And um, I was going to tell a whole long story about the um, the history of the electric vehicle and the, there was a time when there were horse-drawn vehicles, steam-powered, electric, and gasoline all at the same time. It's quite an interesting um, uh, story, put it that way. Go ahead. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. I'd like to ask you about Minus 30 degree weather, how, how much less mileage or kilometers do you get when you want to keep your ass warm? <laughs> or your, I'm sorry, or did the, you say keep your ass warm? 
Uh, yeah, what I tell people is in the worst case scenario, you will lose 50% of your summer range. So like for example, my uh, Fiat that I drove would have a summer range of very close to 160 kilometers. And in the winter, parked outside in minus 30, it would be down to between 75 and 80 kilometers. But that is, that is okay for my needs, and it should be for anyone who buys an electric car. You should get yourself a car that can survive that kind of a reduction in range. But if you park it in a heated garage, and you plug it in so that it charges overnight and the battery's nice and warm, and you turn on the little thing there so that it warms up your car before you get in by turning the heater on, then when you go outside and into the elements, you have a much better chance and you're gonna lose about 20% of your range only. Hi, uh, Jim Byrne. Uh, thanks very much for your presentation. I really appreciated it. Uh, I'm, if you don't mind, I'm just going to sort of respond to a couple of things that were said because I actually do research in this area. Uh, I'm a professor at the University of Lethbridge. Um, it, the biggest concern with the, the biggest gain with electric cars is not actually the greenhouse gas emissions we're going to save. Those are great, but it's the air pollution that 92% of the world lives in, and you'll become much more aware of that at, now that you think about it. Just. Put your, when, when you're at, a, at an intersection, roll your window down and take a big breath in through your nose and you will know how much you and your family are subjected to air pollution all the time. And we live in some of the cleanest air in the world. So we're really gaining in terms of healthcare costs and the cost of treating air pollution healthcare uh, is, is huge. And I have doctor friends that, that, that share this research with me. And the US Navy does have one hybrid uh, ship. So you can, you can, it's not an EV, but it does have one hybrid ship. Um, and so, yeah, uh, and, then, and now my question, if I, if I may, um, how fast do you think, you know, we're going to see this conversion? Um, is it, is it uh, you, know, what, you, you know, you had a few headlines that you shared. Can you uh, take us a step further? Uh, the crystal ball, well, I would rely on other people largely. Um, their consensus most recently seems to be that by the early 2020s, Electric vehicles will be uh, reach what's called cost parity with the gas vehicle. So you could buy an electric Subaru basically for the same price as a gas Subaru. And at, at that point, it's up to the auto manufacturers how many vehicles they will be producing. Because at that point, I believe supply or demand will exceed supply. And the predictions for the percentage of electric vehicles on the road is, you know, around 30% by 2030, 2035. And I, I think it also depends on um, government's willingness to mandate um, electric vehicle sales only, which is, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, many countries in Europe have already done that. By 2030, they're going to say electric vehicles only will be sold in this country by 2030. And those are the ones that have really bad air pollution. Hi, I'm Debbie Figginshaw, and I work in the insurance industry. And I was at a meeting, and it was talking about autonomous vehicles and the impact of uh, autonomous vehicles and how are they going to be insured, who's going to insure them, etc. But going along with autonomous vehicles is also alternative energy vehicles, and it's targeting world um, around the world the urban areas. It's not going to target the rural as much as LA traffic, Calgary traffic, 
uh, rush hour in, rush hour back, the congestion, the pollution, the parking. How are we going to address going forward the number of vehicles transporting people, keeping the, um, the air healthy to breathe? And it was from a whole different angle. Um, at the meeting, there was uh, representatives from the UK, uh, from California, from Volvo, from Nissan. I was quite surprised at this meeting. I thought it was just a regular insurance meeting. And here my mind is just blown at how close the talks are for autonomous vehicles in the rural area and going along with autonomy, also alternative energy. So it's coming faster than I was aware. Uh, UK's mandate is 2020 for autonomy vehicles downtown. It's coming. Okay, we have one more question, I think. Hi, Leona Jacobs. Thank Can I you. I just say one thing there. Um, that was mostly information. I didn't actually hear a question in there, but um, um, I just finished uh, reading this book here, which is um, was recommended to me by the head of transportation strategy for the city of Calgary, and it's about electrification, automation, and shared vehicles in the automotive industry. And this is 2018. It's pretty current. One more question? Um, Leona Jacobs, thanks for your talk. Since I'm kind of on the cusp of making a decision about this stuff. Um, so, uh, two questions. The first one is in relation to a recent uh, piece on, I think it was Marketplace, about, uh, well, at least it was on the National, about electric cars. And the thing that shocked me about it was that they were keeping the inside temperature cold in order to increase their range because they'd gotten off track with their charging station business. And so knowing that, that current vehicles are overloaded with a lot of gadgetry, to what extent does that take away from the whole idea of range? That's my first question. And the second question has to do with what happens with, with used up batteries and how do you recycle them? Okay, um, so that CBC uh, news story, they took a Kia Soul electric and tried to drive it to Detroit, which was like 800 kilometers or something. They should have never done that. So they, uh, they had one glitch and they ended up having to turn off the heat in order to get there. Should never have gone on that trip in the first place. Uh, the only thing that really affects the range on an electric car is really the heat. All the other gadgets know, even the heated seats are like, 15 or 20 watts compared to 3,000 watts to heat the cabin with the, uh, the circulated air. And the last question was batteries. And I'm a big proponent for um, taking used electric vehicle batteries and repurposing them for to augment uh, solar power in your homes. So I mean, generate power during the day, store it, and then put it back into your electric vehicle at night. Uh, Nissan is already taking used batteries out of Nissan Leafs and repurposing them as power walls. That's basically what I'm talking about, is a power wall. Um, battery storage is going to be in demand, and I don't believe these batteries are going to be um, needlessly scrapped. There'll be, there'll be uses found for them. I think there'll be a whole industry of, uh, arising out of that. Okay, just a little uh, comment about how fast things can change. Five years ago, if you went to any major city in China, 
You'd be, ears would be deafened by mopeds and motorcycles. Today, they're all electric. Within five years or so, they've changed all the mopeds, all electric. They're all electric, and now they're going all electric with vehicles. So I think within five or 10 years, when you go to Beijing, you won't have all that pollution anymore. So anyway, without further ado, then we thank you very much, for Jim, for a very wonderful talk.